be looking at expectant faith, and we'll be looking at Luke chapter 8, verses 41 through 42, but we're actually going to go ahead and grab verse 40, and then we're going to go from there. So when we think about fictional stories and movies, one of the things that is kind of exciting is that, especially in America, we like it when there's the good versus evil movie. And then in that good versus evil, the flawed hero finally comes in and he conquers and saves the day. And so that's something that, that we see around us all the time. But I want to tell people about a Jesus who is not a fictional hero, but he always comes to save the day. He's always on time. Amazing. He's never tethered by our formalistic perspectives about how things should go. And his timing is perfect. And it seems like when, to us, it seems like he's too late. He's right on time. So how many of you have prayed and wanted something and you asked God for it and you didn't get it? And then later on in life you go, ooh, I'm glad <laughs> that didn't happen. I wonder... When I was in high school, they went around and they interviewed all of the, uh, I was the vice president of the National Junior Honor Society at our school, and they interviewed all of the National Honor Society people, and one of the things that I said during that time was that I wanted to grow up and be a doctor and drive around in a red sports car in Europe. <laughs> that was my dream. I was, I was going to go to Europe and be a doctor and just kind of live my life over there. Well, I'm a little, I'm a few miles away from Europe right now and a few miles away from any of that. But I wonder how many things in my life would have been impacted or so much differently if I would have been in the world over in Europe rather than coming to terms with Christ and being saved here on this side of the world. Things could have been really different. And so we, we're going to see some things that could have really been different in some of the lives of some other people here. And we're going to be looking at these uh, stories here. So the Bible has stories in it, real stories that, that bolster our faith during difficult times. It gives us hope in the darkest nights. And uh, we're going to be looking at those. So Jesus isn't done with the story because he's still writing yours. So, what is your story? Have you ever thought about, like, I know my story. When I was in high school, Angie chased me. Goodness gracious. I mean, it was like, what does girl leave me alone? But that was part of my story. And 47 years later, you well, no, I got... I, Mine, mine counts, hers doesn't. But part of my story is two kids, one that loves the Lord, and he is on fire for Christ, and a daughter who's not in love with God and is not living a life that she should be living. So I've got two. So my story has this great divergent in it. As I, I think about Michael, and I think about Lucas, and I think about Jennifer. So I've got, I've got that divergent that's taking place in my life. So 
we all have a story, and I'm sure that you could give us your story, and it's an incomplete story because as long as you have life in your breath, air in your lungs, you're still alive and you still have a chance to impact that story in your life. And God is moving right now in all of our lives, and we're going to see how he's going to move in some other lives a little bit later on here. So Luke chapter 8, verses 40 and 42. I want to start there first. And it came to pass when Jesus was returned, he's coming, he's gone across the, the uh, Sea of Galilee, and he's coming back. And notice that the people gladly received him, for they were all awaiting for him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and besought him that he would come into his house. For he had, and this is his story, he had one only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she lay a-dying. But as he went, the people thronged him. Okay? So when we think about, I'm, I'm familiar with death because the years that I spent as a nurse, and especially when I was uh, in the emergency room, I was a church nurse in the emergency room in Lubbock, Texas at St. Mary's Hospital back in 1978. Who? <laughs> 1978 tells you how old I am. Oh, my goodness. 1978. And during that time when I was in emergency medicine, I saw people come in and die. I saw them come in in broken pieces and blood everywhere, and, and we would triage, and we would save some, and others we didn't save. It was the way it was. And I saw people die. And, and death is not a morbid subject because what? Unless Jesus comes, we're all going to die. We're getting older. You know, I can remember, Doc, I can remember when I was 30 years old, I grabbed a basketball and I slammed it and I jumped up to slam it in the goal and I hit the front of it. And I think that was the year they raised the goals up by two or three inches. <laughs> we get older and things happen and we don't have that dexterity that we used to have. So but as we think about death, what are some of the signs that a person is dying. There's, there's a change in diet. They stop eating. Sometimes their skin is cold and clammy. They're restless. They sleep a lot. What else? Pardon me? Get shorter, yes. Are you going to say something? Their breathing changes and slows down. And when they are on the cusp of just hours or maybe a day or two of death, those things are even heightened more. They sleep a lot, and there's not a whole lot of activity that is taking place. And finally, they take their last, and then things change. In Christ, the body goes up, I mean, the spirit, the soul goes back up to what created it. The body, that part of us, that skin and bone and a few minerals stays here and decays. Okay? But, but we have that 
Paul said, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Okay? So we know that's one of the things that happened. But this man knew because of what he's experienced in his life that his daughter was dying. It, it's, it's not a morbid subject. It is, is a truthful subject. And so he knew that. Now, he fell down at Jesus' feet. And for a ruler of the synagogue, that was maybe something a little different than what he would normally have happened to him. But, but he fell at Jesus' feet. We're going to get into that a little bit more here in a little bit. And his only daughter, I want to talk about that for just a quick second. And if I don't hurry, I'm going to run out of time. <laughs> Describe for me people that are, only, that are only children or the only child. What are they like? You know any people that are they're the only child? You're the only child? A lot of times they're what? They're spoiled rotten. <laughs> you, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I, I can't believe it. Anybody back here an only child? No only childs? Okay. Were you one? It wasn't you? Okay. I dated an only child. Boy, I'm glad I didn't marry her. <laughs> I'm on video, aren't I? <laughs> I'm not going to tell you the year so nobody could tell when, when it happened. But she was an only daughter, about 12 years old. I think the significance here is that she was an only, she was 12, she was dying. There wasn't one younger, there wasn't one older. It may very well be that that would be the only child that they would ever have. And so Jesus was going to go to his house but they, the people thronged him. So, Sea of Galilee, Capernaum, up on the northwestern side of the lake. And as we increase the pictures, Capernaum, a little bigger there, you see the uh, Capernaum synagogue in back. There's another shot in the Capernaum synagogue there. We kind of see a progression there, and that progression, it shows us there. So, so, big picture, we, we kind of narrow down to where we're going to see the synagogue in and of itself, and then this man, Jairus, in the Bible. Now, he was an official in charge of arranging the synagogue services, or maybe he was a board member in the synagogue. But the synagogue was for religious, political, social, educational, cultural needs for the Jewish people. He was a leader, and he had a place of respect. He had a place of notoriety. And no doubt with having the one child, everyone knew that he had the one child, and the fact that he probably loved that little child more than anything else. But what was really pressing was that his daughter was dying. So another rendition of the, the synagogue and where he held a, a pretty high position. And so in the synagogue, the following elements took place. They recited the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. They had prayer and scripture reading. And the scripture reading was of law and the prophets, a sermon, and then a benediction. The songs and, and excuse me, the prayers, the psalms that they used during that time. But this man came 
and he fell down at Jesus' feet. And there was one other person who fell down at Jesus' feet, and that was Mary of Bethany. And she fell at Jesus' feet because when he arrived for her brother Lazarus, Lazarus had already died. I'm going to see some parallels between Jairus' daughter and Lazarus. Okay, so as we, as we look at that, <clears throat> so um, the child was sick. The parents were feeling helpless and would have changed places with the child. Parents will move mountains for their sick children. Man, I tell you what, um, when Lucas was in the midst of his issues with uh, epilepsy, I'd have given anything to, to make those stop. You know, if, if, I could, if he could just grow up and be a normal person, you know, maybe I could, I could take on that. Ah, but that was there. But here's something we have to really understand. Parents love their children, but parents can never love their children as much as Jesus loves their children. Oh, that's powerful. I love my kids, but Jesus loves them more than I can even fathom or come to the point to where I could do anything. And so let's set the stage. He was a ruler. He was a husband. And no doubt, the mother was probably occupying most of her time with a dying child. And he was a father, but of an only daughter. And when he came to Jesus, the word that is used here, besought, is paracleo. Paracleo. And it's the word that we use for paraclete, or the Holy Spirit, to come alongside. He besought him, on his knees, he besought him that if he would parocleto him, with, come with me to heal my child. And so this word here gives us an understanding that as Jesus was coming, he was coming in the role of what we almost see as an understanding of what Jesus said, that the Holy Spirit would be to us. He would be my advocate. He would walk alongside me. He would, he would be the person or the interceder between me and God. That Holy Spirit, he was wanting Jesus to come and do that. He had earned all the respect of all the other people in his life, but he had something now that was going to take precedence over everything else over the synagogue, over all the praises of people, over everything. He was about to go forth on that. And so, only child. There's three other places in Scripture. I just want to hit this just really quickly. Two other places. Luke chapter 7, verse 12. Now, when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and much people of the city was with her. We just read about the one in Luke 42, Luke 9, 38. And behold, a man of the company cried out, saying, Master, I beseech thee, look upon my son, for he is mine only child. God loves our children more than we can love them. But also, when you think about this only, for God so loved the world that he gave his only 
begotten Son. So, so Scripture is replete with those instances of helping us to understand the significance of the one and only, that place, that, that child that has my heart, that, that child that gets all of my attention, the one and only, Jesus said, I'm going to give. And I couldn't imagine a parent saying that they would give. And so, 12 years of age, and she lay dying. Have you ever been going someplace and you get interrupted? Have you ever been driving and it's like, oh, man, oh, the lights came on that, on that cop car. I hope he's not coming. Oh, he's not coming after me. He's coming after somebody else. You ever been driving someplace and, and all of a sudden you get interrupted? There's an interruption in the story, the narrative here tonight. Now, I just want to hit on it, and we're going to keep going because we don't have time to, to deal with all of it. Okay, so he besought him that he would come. Now, but the people thronged him. Now, the thing that we have to understand and deal with, the people thronged him. Have any of you... I know that Marie has. You've been to concerts because that night we were singing those songs and you and three other ladies back here started singing all together. Remember that? Okay. So you've been to a concert where it's really kind of crowded? Okay. So everybody is just where Jesus was and where he was walking from. The people thronged him. If you look at this illustration here of this painter, that what he gives us is that there is a lady on her knees and she's reaching up. I've been in places where it was so crowded. 1985 Super Bowl. It was so crowded at that place that I had to hold my wife's hand because I didn't want to lose her. <laughs> I'm serious. I didn't want to lose her. <laughs> but it was that many people, and we were, we, were just, we, we were just moving like this. And people are just bunched up really tight. And in that narrative, when these people are bunched up so tight and they're just barely squeezing through, verse 43, a woman having an issue of blood 12 years 12 years old, 12 years. 12 stands out again. Spent all her living upon physicians, neither could be healed of any. Came behind him and touched the hem of his garment, and immediately her issue of blood staunched. And Jesus said, who touched me? For we have not a high priest that can't be touched with our infirmities. But Jesus knows everything that I've ever gone through. And he is able to make intercession for us. And that is just so wonderful. So, so he asked Jesus, he besought him to paracleto with him to his house. And the people were thronging him. And no doubt, Jairus' hopes are up because now, they're moving, but moving slowly home when all of a sudden Jesus says, who touched me? Now, what did Jairus 
say to himself, just imagine, just lose, use a little bit of uh, uh, spiritual guessing here. Who touched you? We, we're on a mission. We, my daughter is sick. Come on, people. Come on, Jesus. Let's, let's keep going. <laughs> Seems unfair, doesn't it? That he would slow down and deal with another issue. So he deals with that issue. Now, I don't want to take too much time on that issue there, but let's, let's move on. So he said, who touched me? Somebody has touched me. His disciples said, uh, and Jesus said, who touched me? When all denied, Peter and they that were with him said, Master, the multitude thronged thee and pressed thee and sayest thou, who touched me? And Jesus said, well, somebody touched me. For I perceive virtue has gone forth out of me. When the woman saw that she was not hid, she came trembling and falling down. Second time, someone's falling down at the feet of Jesus. Declared unto him for all that the people that caused her and touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said unto her, daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. Now, it was an interruption. It was a, it was a moment when everything stopped. But it was important for this woman, and it's important for Jairus' daughter. And I think there was a, probably an internal struggle there. I don't know if I would be as kind as just, okay, well, Jesus has to deal with this. Hurry, Jesus, hurry. <laughs> so he goes on. And get back on the right page. Be of, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. Now, back to our story. Back to this narrative. While he yet spake, there cometh one from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying to him, Thy daughter is dead. Let that sink in. Thy daughter, the only daughter, the daughter that you've come to see Jesus about, the daughter that caused you to forsake all of your, your, your position, your rank, and everything else and caused you to fall down at the feet of Jesus, that daughter is now dead. Trouble not the master. Be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. That interruption. And then, while he yet speak, there cometh one from the ruler's house, saying, Thy daughter is dead. Trouble not the master. We can trust Jesus when things go awry. Jairus made it to Jesus, but did he make it on time? This word master is a diactic word, it, rabbi, rabboni, teacher, and it's the teacher of things of God and the duty of humanity. Rabboni, master, teacher, 
trouble him not because your daughter is dead. Now, let's move on. Verse 49 through 53. While he has spake there, cometh one of the rulers and said, his daughter is dead. Verse 50. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him saying, fear not, believe only, and she shall be made whole. That's quite a statement. And when he came into the house, he suffered no man to go in. Let me just stop right there. So they had some distance to travel. And in that distance to travel, my daughter is dead. But he says, only believe. My daughter is dead. But he said, only believe. My daughter is dead. But he... But Jesus says, only believe. The master says, only believe. I want to believe, but she's dead. And they get going, and, and it could have been a couple of blocks. It could have been a half mile. We don't know. And I think it's really good that, that we never get an actual distance for that. Now, and when he came there, he suffered no man to go in save his inner circle of Peter, James, and John. And the father and the mother of the maiden. And all wept and bewailed her. Now, during this time, there were mourners that would come and, and mourn with the family. And kind of professional mourners, so to speak. But they would come and they, they would mourn with the family. But he said, when Jesus came into the house with Peter, James, and John, and the parents... Boom, he said, all wept and build her. Weep not, she is not dead, but sleepeth. Now, I've seen a number. When I did my morgue rotation, I remember that. I remember the person, the first body that we autopsied was a person who had been shot with a 22 about four or five times. And we had to trace where the bullets went in. And since you don't like this, I'll really describe it. <laughs> but these bullets went in and just ricocheted. And the person bled to death internally. She was dead. Dead, dead. Question. Why did they take white sheets and cover bodies? That's for anybody. Why did they take white sheets and cover the bodies? Respect. Respect. The dignity of the dead. Right. And well, <laughs> Okay. I, I did some research into that. And there's, there's a whole plethora of ideas out there. One, one of them said that the ancients believed that you need to cover the head and the face because the spirit comes out of the mouth. And I thought, oh, my goodness. But the dignity of the dead and being able to cover that. So, so all of those things are there. Okay? But she was dead. And they laughed him to scorn, knowing that she was dead. This is a true story. It was the night shift that I was working. I was going to nursing school. And... A person died in room 203. 
And my sister, who was the um, direct, she was the church nurse for that night, said to me, Michael, you and Lydia go bag the room. Okay. I was new. I was, okay. Went in there. And we had to separate all of the hospital things from personal things. And we were doing that. And then the old hospital beds had a spring-loaded contraption that had the controls on it for the bed. And you know how the, the spring-loaded would go back and forth. I bent over and must have touched it on the way down, and it touched me twice on the way coming up. When I got to the back door, <laughs> I started running. <laughs> True story. I, I hadn't told that in years. <laughs> but that thing bounced and hit me twice. And I just thought, oh, my. <laughs> I was out of there and out of there real quick. <laughs> Hope is lost. Thy daughter is dead. Dr. Luke wrote, thy daughter is dead. No life, no life then remained in her. She was physically dead. There is a spiritual dead in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 6 through 5. Now, she that is a widow indeed and desolate trusteth in God and continueth in supplication and prayers night and day. But she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. So the, the idea of there's that spiritual death that someone can exist in while they are alive. They are spiritually dead. They don't understand the spiritual things of God because the, they don't make any sense to him or to her. They are spiritually dead. This young lady was dead, physically dead. Hope is lost. Fear not. Jesus said, fear not, only believe only. Stop being afraid. So that's an imperative there of, of stop doing what you're already, you're doing something, stop doing that. Stop being afraid, believe only, and she shall be made whole. Jesus wants to alleviate doubt and to strengthen their faith in him. When have you seen or heard God working in a situation that seems hopeless? And the note that I gave to myself is always. With man, everything is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. God always steps in right on time. He's never late. He always is in control. Nothing is ever out of out of order, but God is able to keep everything in alignment. How in the world is all the stars in the heavens stay where they're supposed to stay? <laughs> it's amazing. But that's the kind of God that we serve. Now, the mourners over Jairus' daughter, there were those who were mourning and they were crying. You can't see the people behind there. But there are mourners in the background 
and they are mourning. But when Jesus said that she wasn't dead, that she was sleeping, you ever seen people mock somebody and laugh at them? You ever done something silly in junior high school? Junior high was probably the one phase of all of our lives where kids were notorious. They were tough. And if you did something wrong, can you imagine everybody laughing at you? How many of you, besides me, has anybody ever been in, in a situation where everybody laughed at you? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. They look at you like, oh, everybody's it's so funny. And you're like, oh, boy. You're feeling bad about it, but they just kind of get, it's, it's so funny. They just love it. She's not dead, but she sleeps. In this instance, the girl's death was like the sleep, but of a limited duration. She would be awakened through Jesus' miraculous power. She's going to come back, but it's going to be miraculous. Okay, we're going in our, in our scripture text, Luke 8, 54 through 56. And he put them all out. I love that. <laughs> You're going to laugh at me? Watch this. Get out. <laughs> he put them out. So Jesus, meek and mild, meek, power under control. He said, let's get out. He put them out. Get out. Peter, Jane, John, the parents, and Jesus, and the little girl. He, he took, he put out the negative. He put away those who had no faith. He, believed, he put those out who didn't believe, and it was just them in there. And he, was able to, he wasn't able to. He demanded that to be done. And can you imagine, you were mourning and when someone says, but she's not dead, she's asleep, and then you laugh, hmm, makes you wonder how much of mourning was really in you. But they laughed him to scorn. But that was nothing for Jesus because he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. That was nothing for Jesus to deal with. But how do we deal with scorn? Would we, would we have yelled and screamed, and who are you laughing at? Put them all out, and he took her by the hand and called, saying, Maid, arise. And her spirit came again, and she arose straightway. The spirit, the pneumos, the oh, God breathed life and to man he became a living soul isn't that amazing that that same ability and her spirit came again and she arose straightway and he commanded give her meat give her something to eat and her parents were what astonished but he charged them that they should tell no man, which was done. Interesting. So he put him out, and he said, "Made arise," and a spirit came again. Now, 
Luke's main goal, as we look at this scripture text, is here to teach his readers about Jesus and not about death. It's about Jesus and not about death. He said, little girl made arise because Jesus is God. He can speak to the girl as if she were alive. Romans 4, 17 says that God gives life to the dead and called those things which do not exist as though they did. Jesus spoke to this girl with the power of God and she was raised from the dead. Jesus' mission to come to this world to show God's redemptive plan, to be a part of that redemptive plan, to be able to proclaim the gospel to the, of the kingdom to the world is what he came to do. I think so many times we get so busy focusing on the bread and the fish that fed the thousands the fact that he spit on the ground and made spittle and rub, rubbed it on a guy's eyes. We get caught up in the, the act of the master as opposed to the reality of what the master is trying to accomplish and do for the world in order for them to take note of what God is doing through him to the world. It's not raising her from the dead is the fact that Jesus has the power to say, little girl, arise. And so her spirit came again. I've got a couple other scriptural texts I want to read for you. Matthew chapter 18. I didn't put it on the slides because by this time I... You ever get lazy? <laughs> I got lazy. <laughs> I was so busy, I just got lazy. Verse 2 through 5. And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them. <clears throat> you know, I, I just want to stop there for just a quick second. You know how some kids are just drawn to people? I was watching this, there was a news article about this one little boy who was sitting in the football stadium. And he was a black little boy and she was a white lady. And they were both sitting by, her, by themselves. He got up and went and sat in her lap. Smart kid. <laughs> free popcorn, free. <laughs> Jesus loves the little children. And I can just, I'm putting my spiritual imagination on that children were drawn to him. Like, like white on rice. You ever heard that expression? Yeah. Just right there, right with him. He loved them and they loved him. And he, he, he helps us understand about that childlike faith. Jesus called the little child unto him and, and set him in the midst of them. And said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest 
in the kingdom of heaven. Now, I think about this. I'm, I'm trying to be quick. That he told the parents not to tell anyone, but, but I'm sure that, that mom and dad had an opportunity to have a conversation with the daughter. You had died, but this man, Jesus, whom they hung on Calvary, Calvary's cross and who the Romans beat and, the, and the, the religious leaders rejected, it was that man who said to you, made arise. What a testimony. Oh, my goodness. So Jesus wanted to, to, to demonstrate that for us. And then also in Luke chapter 19, verses 13 through 15, 13 says, And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and sent it to them. Let's see, is that the one I'm looking to? No, that's, that's not the one I was looking for. Let me skip that because I'm running out of time. Okay, Mark 5, 41, and he took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, Talitha kumi, which is being interpreted, damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And she got up. Give her something to eat. Oh, okay. I don't think she was caught up with where, where have I been? What, what's been going on? But she got up. She had something to eat. Jesus met her, met the spiritual needs of her family. This is the same Jesus that said, peace, be still. And the winds and the sea calm down. Just like that. That same Jesus also said, Take up your bed and walk. And the man who had been laying there for years, and surely his legs and the muscles in his legs have atrophied to where he, they're nice and small and didn't have any strength in. But he said, take up thy bed and walk. And the guy gets up, picks up his bed, and he does exactly what Jesus said to do. Michael. Do you believe my word? Are you willing to do what my word tells you to do? That same Jesus who can control the winds and the rain and can control walking and control life is asking us today those same questions. And he says to us, so, little, little young sir, arise and do my father's will. Arise and tell the world about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Arise and witness. Her parents were astonished. And that word astonished me to be amazed, to be out of one's mind, so to speak. And it came to pass after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors. I'm just getting another story here. Both hearing and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. Jesus goes on to say that, Know ye not that I must be about my father's business. 
they were astonished. And so Jesus gave them some instructions. And the instructions were, were pretty clear. Tell no one. Boy, that's, that's missing out on a great opportunity to reach somebody, Jesus. Tell nobody? Don't you want everybody to know? But he charged them that they should tell no man what was done. <clears throat> Come on. So, Bible scholars suggest that Jesus did not want Jairus' daughter to be regarded as a public curiosity. Then also, there's others that, other writers that said the scornful laughter, those people were not ready to receive the gospel message. Then lastly, the nature of God's kingdom, many, and even many today, don't comprehend the mystery of the kingdom of God. It's a mystery that someone can hear Jesus came, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died a substitutionary death on the cross for the sins of the world. He was buried and he rose again, victorious over death in the grave. He was seen of hundreds. He gave a commission. He went to glory. He's coming back. And that can change a wicked man into a saved righteous man. Isn't that amazing? The acts of Christ, the words that we speak, carry such a great weight. So it's the faith in Jesus Christ that we need tonight. And the message of Jesus Christ, as simple as that, that simple message can be said this way. Michael Gentry, the sixth child, not seventh child of, of Austria Gentry accepted the fact that Jesus came as an infant, lived a sinless life, died a substitutionary death for me. He was buried and he rose again. And by my belief in what he did, and by repentance, I can become a new creature in Christ. And that's the message that we should tell the world about yourself. Isn't that kind of neat? It's no, nothing magical. You don't have to know any special ways of doing it, but just speaking the word. And that word can convert the heart and soul. So, faith in Christ. Let's close. Father, we thank you so much for this.